Good morning again. So this morning, you are probably expecting us to continue through Galatians chapter 3, mainly because I said I was very excited (laughs) to go through this next passage, which I definitely am. Uh, But I just felt compelled to talk about something else today. And, And what I want to talk about was just the stories of our life, the stories that each of us in this room has, stories that comprise who we are, stories of growing up in our families, stories with our parents, with our friends, at school, stories in our families now, in our marriages, with our grandkids. And so I want to talk about those stories today, um, and specifically the stories that cause us pain, stories where we carry a hurt. And I know we, we hear about these stories uh, about other people a lot of times. We hear stories about other people, about abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse in, in families. We hear about that in other people's families. We hear their stories. And I, I know that we all have these stories. We all carry these burdens, um, so this pain. Some of us, stories of what people have done to us times we felt powerless, and other of us, um, whether it be physically or verbally, we have these stories of pain. And I think about just in our relationships, uh, these where we carry shame. In our parenting, we can carry a lot of pain and a lot of shame. And with our parents, with our relationship with our parents, we carry shame and some pain in our marriages. And some of us carry shame in our, our sexuality. And I think about like pornography and how it just rips apart our masculinity, our femininity. I think about how pornography can, can completely enable us, and unable us, I should say, to lead as men in our families. And some of us have hurt our wives so much with our words that we feel unable to, to lead them spiritually. Because of that shame. So we carry these stories of shame. And I, I couldn't think about, I couldn't stop but think about the shame that we carry about those that we've hurt. That we know that we've hurt them deeply. And I honestly, I was thinking about, like, well, in myself. Um, like with my wife Casey, I think about all the fights that we've had, continue to have. And um, just how full of shame I am in some things that I've said. And so, in some of us, it's in the same way. We carry the shame, not only what things ha- happen to us, but things that we've done to others. So each one of us have these stories. And the shame that we carry, it stops us from being who God has called us to be. It isolates us. It leads us to avoid people. It leads us to put up barriers. And so it prevents relationships, because we'd rather hide It shackles us with fear. It cripples us as men, as our wives and our children, our call-up for leadership. It cripples wives and women as your father, your your husband's looking for support, your kids are looking for, for that nurturing. It cripples us. It prevents us from bringing to the body of Christ, to our family, exactly what God has made us to give and to serve. And this, so this morning, I want to talk about these stories. That each of us has. And when I look at a passage about a woman 
who had these stories of shame and pain, which led her to, to isolate herself from others, and she carried this hurt until she met someone that brought hope. Someone who brought in healing. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. And so today I want us to turn to John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 4. And we'll see how Jesus, he brings light to these stories of shame we carry. Not to further humiliate us. Not to increase the shame, but to heal us. And so John chapter 4. As you're turning there... You, you may recognize this right away as the, the woman at the well, uh, an account that some of us may have heard many times. But as a, a way of reminder, let me give you uh, just a little background just to kind of put this in perspective. So as we go through here, we'll see that Jesus, actually, you know what? Let me read it first. So John chapter 4 reads in verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sitar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 
Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So we have this account where there's a growing tension in Judea with the Pharisees. And so Jesus decides, all right, let's go north. And in order to go north, they had to go through Samaria. And a little background there. And as verse 9 states, as John makes note here, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They did not interact. And the reason for is the Samaritans, they intermingled. Their descendants intermingled with pagans, non-Jews. And so that as time went by, they weren't all completely Jewish, but they were intermingled with these, these false pagans, these, these, these followers of false gods. And God at that time was commanding the, the Jews to, to marry within themselves in order to be a witness to others, in order to, to make sure that they don't compromise the truth. But the Samaritans didn't follow them. And so you had this, this ethnical tension between the Samaritans and Jews. On top of that, the Samaritans only believed the first five books of the Bible were authoritative. The rest of the Old Testament was not. On top of that, they no longer worshipped Yahweh at Jerusalem, but they went to Mount Gerizim instead. And so you have this ethnical tension between the Samaritans and Jews. You've got this kind of uh, cultural tension, and then you add into this religious tension that they disagreed on these things. And there you have it, where these two people, these two groups, they do not interact. And even John makes that clear. They have no dealings with each other. And yet Jesus decides to go through. He goes through with his disciples. He gets to a town called Sitchar, and it says that Jesus, tired from his journey, he goes and sits by a well, sends his disciples to get food into the, the near town there. And that's where he meets this woman. So let's, let's break this story up into three parts, if you will. In three parts. So the first part is this. This woman has shame just like me and just like you. And we, so we see that here. She's an outcast, a complete outcast. Let me give you some reasons here. Three reasons. Three reasons why she is an outcast and three reasons why what Jesus did was a complete radical act. Point number one, as we just kind of already talked about, is that she's a Samaritan. Jesus is Jewish. He's a Samaritan. As John said, they had nothing to do with each other. They had no dealings. They avoided each other. In fact, in history, the most of the straight point is to go through Samaria to get north. Some Jews, they went around. They spent the extra money, the extra time to go around just so they had nothing to do with them. So this was huge. It's the first point is that she's a Samaritan. And she says that, why are you a Jew talking to me a Samaritan when Jesus asked for a drink? Number two, the second reason why she's an outcast and why it's radical that Jesus is even talking to her is that she's a woman. If you look in verse 27, it's after Jesus' conversation with the woman, the disciples show up. And what does it say? It says that they marveled that he was talking to a woman. And that word, marvel, describes the same response to a different time that the disciples marveled at Jesus. And that was when they were in a boat and they thought they were going to die, when there was a huge storm. And that's when Jesus calmed the storm. He had authority over the wind, the sea, and it said that they marveled at Jesus. 
So when they saw Jesus talking to this woman, they had the same response to a storm as they did now. It was that big of a deal. No Jewish man talked to a woman during the day. Less than asking something from them. So this was huge. The disciples marveled that Jesus was even doing this. So Jesus reached out to a Samaritan, a woman, and the third point is that she had a reputation of being a promiscuous woman, an immoral woman. And we see that later when Jesus talks, asks her to go get her husband. She says, hey, I, I don't have a husband. She says, yeah. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. She was a promiscuous woman, and she was known as that. Her actions show that she was full of shame, and here's why. John writes that it's the sixth hour. Most likely he's referring to it. It's about noon. It's about midday. And the Samaritan woman comes to the well. Interesting thing. All women go to the well either early in the day or late in the day because it's way too hot in the middle of the day to go to it. And so she goes to the well at a time she knows no one's going to be there. A time when no one's there who's going to know who she is, who's going to know her background, And so she goes when no one's there. And number two, typically, women went together to the well, but she comes alone. She comes to the well by herself at a time that she knew no one was going to be there. And so she comes. She was avoiding people. She was isolating herself. Just like we avoid relationships. We distance ourselves from people, maybe not physically, but relationally. We put up barriers. We want to hide. We don't want people to see us. We don't want people to know our stories, our struggles, things that we're ashamed of, and so we avoid. We distance. So this woman at the well, she's full of shame. She's avoiding people. And yet, Jesus pursues her. And so we come to the second part of the story. And that's that Jesus, he sheds light on her shame. He sheds light. And so we see, he first begins by sharing hope. A hope of healing, of transformation, of salvation. This living water he starts talking to her about. She misunderstands Jesus, we see here. She thinks she's t- he's talking about physical water. Like, hey, you've got something I can have where I don't have to go to this stupid well all the time? Like, I'm in. Let's have it. But Jesus was talking about deeper spiritual realities. And so Jesus, he gets right to the point. He kind of cuts down to it and says, hey, go get your husband. Bring him here. He touches on an area of deep pain and shame and even no doubt that she's gotten shame from other people because of this. On a sensitive thing. He says, go get your husband. And she, for whatever reason, and I say that, she, she answers, honestly, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Because you've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. Can you imagine when Jesus said that, what's going through her head? No doubt she's thinking about those relationships. It's hard for me not to think that those five guys were using her. 
who were abusing her. That she had this desire to be loved. She had this desire for security. And she was going from guy to guy, couldn't find it. But at that time, she's also abandoned because she's seen as promiscuous and immoral. And so when Jesus says, go call your husband, all this, I could just imagine all this coming back to her head. Like, this is all I want, and I can't find it. Makes me think of uh, Jacob. I don't know, we, I brought this up back in August. At a time when Jacob wrestled with God. And if you remember, while they wrestled, Moses writes that God, for whatever reason, could not break away. And so God says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not until you bless me. And it's at this time that God says this. He says, what is your name? And the last time that Jacob heard that question was years before when he was in the middle of the process of deceiving his dad, stealing his brother's birthright, and pretty much getting excommunicated. He was in the process of doing that. So can you imagine the shame at that point that went over him when he heard, what is your name, thinking about, the last time I did that, I was completely hurting my dad, hurting my family. But God sheds light on that. What is your name? So Jesus presses on the story of shame for the Samaritan woman. So then she brings up a question. Hey, you must be a prophet. We worship here, you worship there. She kind of brings this up. Um, Some people think, and I think there's maybe good reason, is that she's bringing this up to avoid what Jesus just brought up. Hey, this hurts. This is very sensitive. So she tries to push it. Hey, what about this? We, we worship over here, you worship over there, Jesus. Enough about the husband thing. Let's move over here. Maybe she was just trying to put up more walls. Like, hey, we're different. Like, that sounded good. You're a prophet and all, but we're different. Like, you worship over there. We worship over here. I don't think we can do this. Makes me think of Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they saw that they were naked. So they did what? They hid. They ran. But God still came. He still came. And I think about us. In, in our shame, we hide. We don't want God bringing to light these areas, even to ourselves. We try. These are things that we've been trying to keep away. But he sees these areas. The shame of feeling that we're not man enough, that we're not enough, that we're not pretty enough, that we're not loved, that we're too much, that we're too dramatic. So Jesus comes and he brings light on it. But like the woman, we'd rather hide because it's too hard. It's too much. But he presses on these areas. In part three of the story, he brings light to these areas not to further shame us, not to further humiliate us like some may have in the past. But he comes and he brings light to these areas to bring healing. And so after, as we see here, after Jesus answers her question, like, hey, like these differences are obsolete because I've come and we're calling worshipers to worship God in spirit and truth. And after he answers her question, 
This woman expresses hope, saying, hey, all I know is when the Messiah comes, he will make things right. He'll have the answers. And that's when Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah. And this was huge. He started the encounter by sharing about this living water. And in the Old Testament, this living water was a picture of God's grace for cleansing, for transforming power, and for healing and spiritual life. And then he ends this encounter by saying, I am the Messiah. He's talking to this immoral, promiscuous, Samaritan woman. And he says that he's Messiah. And this is incredible because looking through the life of Jesus, account after account, Jesus, he kind of hides who he is. Not hides, but he doesn't come out and say it straight, especially to the Jewish leaders. He even heals people and says, hey, don't tell these people that I did this for you. But to this promiscuous, immoral, shameful woman, he says, I am the Messiah. For the first time from his lips, he says, I am the Messiah. So Jesus sheds light on these painful areas. He shed light on this painful area for this woman, for Jacob, for Adam and Eve. He sheds light on it, not to humiliate, but to heal, to cover like Adam and Eve, to give them clothing, to cover with grace and with truth. He sees the areas of our lives that we're ashamed of, the stories. He knows our secret sin. He knows our struggles. And in chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says that Jesus can sympathize. He can sympathize because he's gone through it. He's gone through the pain. He's gone through the shame. God is not indifferent. He sees, he feels, he knows, and he's coming to bring healing. And we see that his, his love has no boundaries. If Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman who is promiscuous and known as immoral, if he did that, has no boundaries. So no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, his love has no boundaries. So what areas, what stories of shame and pain in your life are you trying to hide from God? Not that he doesn't know about it, because he definitely does. But we're trying to hide it. Attempting to redirect his probing questions, uh, his convicting work. Uh, maybe this area is a secret sin that we're ashamed of. Fearing that one day someone might know. Someone might know. It could be a struggle, a deep struggle that we're ashamed about. Depression, anxiety. Just or a feeling just that no one cares. Maybe it's some kind of stronghold of shame in your marriage or in your family, in parenting. Maybe a fight in the past that has left scars that we've tried to forget but continues to burst forth in the present but it's too much to, to sift through, to work through. Maybe it's shame in just who we are that we feel we're, just, we're less than. So what area of life has the Spirit of Christ been pressing on? Not to humiliate, not to shame, but to heal. He comes to bring hope, like he did to the woman at the well. And we see that he's gentle with us. He doesn't take our hearts, rip the bears away, and just smack our hearts. He's gentle. He 
doesn't leave his sheep by themselves. He'll pick them up and carry them. He won't leave them alone for the wolves to have. He'll protect. And you don't need to go through this alone. And that's why we have the body of Christ. We have each other. We don't need, you don't need to suffer in silence or alone. You don't need to go unnoticed. Reach out to someone you trust. I would encourage you to reach out to the deacons, the elders, me afterwards. We would be honored to talk with you, to pray with you, to weep with you. Let me end with this. And there may be some here this morning who are thinking of all the things that they've done to others and the pain that they've caused to others, the shame they've caused other people. And I promise you that Jesus will not overlook these things. He will not overlook these things. He will not overlook them. He is just and he will punish. He cares for people and he will avenge. We deserve punishment, all of us. But God has made a way of escape. And so if that's you, God has made a way through Jesus Christ to escape his punishment, to escape his wrath, and to receive blessing upon blessing through Christ. And so if that is you, I encourage you to run to God for mercy. Talk with one of the deacons, elders, me, someone here that you trust, and we would love to share more. But I just want to give this picture that even in our stories of shame, pain, and hurt that we know can drive us by fear in our daily lives, in our marriages, in our, our parenting, in our, as grandparents, everything. Jesus is there. He does care. And he has hope. And he heals. So no matter where you are, there's hope in Jesus. And he's there. He's reaching out, crossing the bounds. And Father, we we pray, Lord, we are weak people, we are broken people, and we you know that you know you know us, we know our weaknesses, that we 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 try to hide, Lord. You know how weak I am, Lord. You know our marriages, you know our our, our families, our parenting at work. You know the things, you know our shame, Lord. And we try to hide it. And we even try to hide it from you. And God, we. We do fear being shamed again. But Lord, convince us, as it is true, that you aren't here to shame us. You're here to heal us. Lord, give us grace to rest in your embrace and to trust you. Amen.